Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to episode 150, that's 150, of the Childless Not By Choice podcast. I don't know why, but that sounds like a fabulous number. It sounds great. (laughs) My name is Savella Morgan. My mission is to recognize and speak to the childless, not by choice women and men around the world, reminding you, reminding us, that we can live joyful, relevant, fulfilled, childless, not by choice lives. And whether you have children or not, thank you for tuning in. What is today's show about? Scar tissue. (laughs) Scar tissue. What manner of scar tissue mayhem is this? But before we get to that, I would like to take a minute to thank the people who make a financial contribution to the platform on a monthly basis. My Patreon contributors, my patrons, your contributions help pay my podcast producer, my podcast host, Zoom, where I record interview episodes. And so just thank you. Thank you very much for all you do on the platform. You are a part of the team that helps me get a fresh new episode out every single month. That team also includes, like I said, my podcast producer, my website manager, and Libsyn, the company that hosts my podcast. Who else? Zoom, as I mentioned. All of the stuff, all of the things, everything that goes into creating an episode, making it sound good. When you go to the websites, the gentleman who manages those two sites, just everything that happens to make this as good as this one woman show can make it. Thank you very much. You are truly appreciated. Thank you for being a part of the team that helps me to get the word out globally that we do exist and that we can live joyful, relevant, fulfilled childless, not by choice lives. Well, as of this recording, it's about April, what is this, the third, heading into the fourth in about two minutes. Many of you know, if you've been listening to me for any amount of time, I love recording at this time of night. (laughs) It's quieter on several different levels. Not as much traffic outside, not, not as much ambient noise, and you know, the world's noises go quiet at midnight. So this is my favorite time to record, although I wish I could have done it a little bit earlier because I have so much going on and I'm pretty sure I have to be up early tomorrow for something. But anyway, as of this recording, about a month ago, around, yeah, a month ago today, March 2nd, I found myself in the hospital. And uh, it wasn't planned, which those things usually are not. It wasn't like a planned procedure or anything. I was having so much abdominal pain and bloating. I had never felt like that before. Well, maybe once before I had the pain, but didn't even have the bloating the way I had it this time. So I couldn't take the pain anymore. I was like, there's something wrong. Something is very, very wrong. And uh, I finally had to take myself to the emergency room. And where I went is a standalone emergency room. And when they took an MRI, they said, um, we need to transport you to the actual hospital. <laughs> I'm like, wait, no, you can't. I have things to do. I have, I, no, no, ma'am, we need to transport you. You have partially blocked intestines. I'm like, blocked with what? <laughs> scar tissue. Yeah, scar tissue. And I'm like, scar tissue? My last surgery was 2011. This is 2023. Where in the world would scar tissue come from? And they're like, I don't know, but that's how it goes. Anytime you have surgery, you run the risk of having scar tissue, and it can basically come back to haunt you at any time. So 
that can happen, you guys. I had no idea that such a thing could happen. All I know was that the pain was not going away. It was getting worse. I'd had this kind of pain about a year, the year before, and I managed to get it to go away. You know, self-medicating, self, instead of running to the doctor's office for everything, just doing what I could to get rid of it, and it went away. But this time, it was not going away. And so after such immense pain, and after they took the MRI and saw that my intestines were partially blocked with scar tissue, they transported me by ambulance to a full standing hospital. And they kept me in the hospital. One of the things the emergency room doctor told me was, we have to get you to the hospital because they're going to have to decide whether or not they want to operate. I was like, operate? Are you kid? Are you kidding me? <laughs> operate? I just came in here for belly pain. What do you mean operate? Well, they'll let you know if they have to operate or not. I, I, I did not know how serious this was. I really did not know. I, I actually thought I was going to take myself to the hospital, get some medication, and go back home because I thought maybe it was like you know the typical tummy things, a bad case of indigestion or those issues that people have, you know, with acid reflux or whatever. The more they talked, the more serious it became. I still wasn't catching on. I couldn't believe it. And so they gave me something to just minimize the pain, some kind of concoction they mixed up. And it really did the trick. And I had to have a second bout of it because, I mean, I needed a second bout of it until they could get me to the hospital because although I was a priority to be transported, they had other people that were more of a priority based on their illnesses. And they only have so many ambulances. So I had to, I had to wait there for a couple of hours on an ER bed until they got to me and then transported me the short 10 minutes or so to the actual hospital. I still look back on it now and I'm like, this is... I life can turn on a dime. <laughs> life can turn on a dime. So, I mean, remember I took myself there. I left my vehicle in the parking lot. And I'm like, "What what about my vehicle?" They're like, "It'll be all right." <laughs> That's what they told me. I'm like, "This is craziness." And they transported me. I literally had no choice. I told the doctor, "Wait, my dad just got admitted to rehab, to a rehab facility." because he had fallen twice in one night. And they're like, I understand you, you are concerned about your dad, but I strongly suggest you go to the hospital and not go home. They would not even release me to go, you know, move my vehicle. No, we need to transport you. It, it really, it took, a, it took a minute for it to sink in because I mean, I just, I felt the pain. Yes, it was terrible. They offered me really high powered drugs to try to calm it. And I was like, no, I have to be alert. I have to remain alert. I'm here by myself. And I brought myself here. And I need to know if the nursing home calls for anything about my dad because he'd only been there six days. I need to be alert. I can't be out of it and sleeping and groggy. So yeah, I refused that medication. But any other time I would have taken it because the pain was really bad. You know, for a fleeting moment, I thought about all those surgeries I had and I, I started questioning, <laughs> questioning my decisions like that was going to make a change. If I questioned decisions from from years ago, I started thinking, you know, maybe I should have had the hysterectomy earlier. Maybe I should have just skipped all those the three myomectomies I had all together. How would how would I know though, right? But I had to question myself. And then and I said, wait a minute, stop wasting your time. I, I said this to myself. <laughs> just stop it. 
stop wasting your time looking back because there's nothing you can do about it. It's not going to change anything. And as I mentioned, they gave me this concoction that kind of just quelled the pain. I laid there, tried not to think about my past decisions and just waited. I just waited. So they finally got me to the regular hospital. I was promptly taken to a room where I stayed for four days and they had me on nothing at all. And then the next day they had me on liquids only. They wanted to see if I was keeping the different things down. So I kept the liquids down. They thought I was going to throw up or whatever, but I didn't. And they always asked me if I felt nauseous. I'm like, no, I I don't, I'm not, I'm not nauseous. I guess that comes with the whole illness, but I never felt nauseous. I just had a lot of pain. Then they, the next day they put me on kind of like puree, like thicker foods, but not real, you know, food. (laughs) And then I, I managed to keep that down. And then the next day they put me on regular food. The surgeon came by a couple times, two different surgeons. And I'm like, this is really serious. And they're like, well, we don't we don't really particularly want to operate on you again to remove the scar tissue. We'd rather you just eat a low fiber diet. And I was like, a low fiber diet? What what in the world? What is a low fiber diet? I'm like, what is going on right now? These are things I've never heard about before. Partially blocked intestines with scar tissue and low fiber diet? This is crazy. But yeah, low fiber diet. So I have a, as of this recording, I have an appointment coming up with a dietitian to figure out what that is, because I can't just eat carbohydrates for the rest of my life. That's not going to be a good idea. So yeah, I'm hoping that this dietitian or nutritionist or whatever she is, is going to help me out. And I just really wanted to tell you all, because I know many of you, it's the nature of the journey we're on. You had lots of surgeries or at least several, or at least one. You had a hysterectomy. You've probably had myomectomies, which are fibroid removal surgeries. You've had other types of surgeries. I'm pretty sure many of you have. I've never taken a poll. I should take a poll on how many of you have had a surgery relating to childlessness. I would venture to say it's a lot of us, right? So I may do a poll on that. And hey, if you feel like letting me know, let me know and I'll I'll make some little tick marks <laughs> next to each message I get or whatever, just to take a, a random straw poll, I guess. I'd venture to say it's many of us. So I wanted to let you know that it is really, really important that post-surgery, any type of surgery, you take it easy. And I have something on the website, childlessnotbychoice.net. It's an article that I created on self-care post-hysterectomy. Please look at it if you've not had your your hysterectomy yet and maybe you're planning one or, you know, even if you've already had the hysterectomy, take a look. But I talk about how to take it easy because after a, a surgery like that, any type of abdominal surgery, any major surgery, it is so important not to be cleaning house, wearing heels, walking stairs, all of that stuff adds to scar tissue and adhesions. And it was the adhesions that are the scar tissue that were sticking out partially into my intestines. And as I ate, even fruits and vegetables, no more fibrous fruits or vegetables, because those things was as they go down my intestines can hang out on the scar tissue that's sticking out. And that is what causes the pain. Unbelievable. So number one, 
if you're planning on having any type of surgery like this, do all you can to do everything before the surgery. Clean the house, get the meds, do everything you can so that after surgery, you are not cleaning the house, getting the meds. Do everything you can ahead of time and read that article on the website, www.childlessnotbychoice.net. Because the other thing that I was made to understand that can bring this on is stress. Because the scar tissue has been there all along. And my last surgery was 2011. But I've been under a lot of stress. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, you know, kid you. I have been under quite a bit of stress the last couple of months. So I think that brought it on, to be honest. Yeah, it may be easier said than done, but definitely try to manage your stress level. Just try to do all that you can to avoid this. <laughs> and that's why I wanted to tell you about it, because I don't know how avoidable or not it may be, but I, I would say watching your stress level, not doing a whole lot post-surgery, any surgery, and just know that, you know, surgery does create scar tissue, but just do the best you can, because that is some crazy pain. And and this is something, I guess, that they were used to because they knew what concoction to put together to give me to calm down my tummy. This is something, I guess, that happens. It's just that I've never heard of it. And many of you probably have never heard of it as well. So I just want you to, to just be careful. Take it easy. If you haven't had the surgery yet, do all the research you can and all the prepping you can pre-surgery so that you don't have to do much post-surgery. And just listen to your doctor. Follow your doctor's instructions. I, I don't know if they have different instructions these days, but I'll tell you, I didn't get a whole lot of instruction after my myomectomies and after my hysterectomy. I mean, one of the surgeries I had, one of the myomectomies I had, they did it with a robot. So I have scars on my tummy where the robot went through and one of the scars was aggravated early on when I had a belt on. I mean, go figure. Who wears a belt not long after? I just wanted to be back to normal so badly, but you can't rush your body after a major surgery like that. And so the belt like ruptured the wound and it just made a mess. And so I'm fine, but don't wear a belt. <laughs> After surgery, wear loose clothing. <laughs> oh my goodness, sometimes I just surprise myself. But anyway, things like that wear loose clothing, wear flats, don't try to wear heels too soon after surgery. You can get back to your heels again. Don't rush yourself to heal. Just listen to your body and let your body guide you because if your body is not ready and you try to make it ready, you'll pass out. <laughs> You know, you'll just sit down and just be tired and, and not be able to move a muscle. So don't do that to yourself. All of that is creating scar tissue, by the way. So take it easy. And if you've already had your surgeries or surgery or surgeries, you know, just beware that it's a possibility that scar tissue can rear its ugly head, especially if you are stressed out. So what else do I want to talk to you about today? I was looking at some articles. And I have them in the show notes. I was looking at a Statista article. They were talking about the the um, percentage of childless women by age. And I don't know, I got to thinking about all that because of everything that I had gone through with being in the hospital. And I was looking at my age-ish group, <laughs> my kind of age group, although I think they stopped just before my age, which is kind of like, why? I'm still here. <laughs> They're in this Statista article, which the link is in the show notes. 
They talk about the percentage of childless women in the United States in 2018 by age. And they and I, you guys know, you've heard my previous episodes on this. I do not know why they are including young women as young as 15 in this. But anyway, that's a pet peeve of mine. 15 to 19 years old, childless, 96.9%. Duh, most young women 15 to 19 are not trying to have children. I just don't understand why they did this. I think it skewers things. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Anyway, 28 to 24 years old, 78.6%. 25 to 29 years old, 54.2% of women are childless. 30 to 34 years of age, 33.6%. 35 to 39 years of age, 20%. 40 to 44 years of age, 15%. And 45 to 50 years old, 15.4% are childless. That's the percentage of childless women by age in the United States. I just don't like that 15 to 19 because like I said, I don't think they're out there trying to have kids. I'm not saying it's not happening, but I don't think most of them are trying. Anyway, I, I just found this article interesting. There was a, let me see, there's another article that I want to tell you about. You can do the digging on that one to see, you know, about your particular situation. I, I like Statista. It's one of the statistical platforms that I use. I also use like Pew Research for certain types of research. So there are different, you know, research platforms that I like. Statista is one of them. Speaking of Pew Research, this other one is from Pew Research Center, P-E-W, like the church Pew. And it's childlessness up among all women, down among women with advanced degrees. I think we've talked about this before. I think this is a known thing that women with advanced degrees tend to not have children. Some people will say, well, they put off having children to go get that advanced degree. Okay. You know, I I know a lot of women who have done both, so I'm sure there are women who did that, you know, but I don't think that it's something that is just, oh, she put off having children to get the degree. You don't have to do one or the other. There are a lot of women who have done both. Anyway, looking at the Pew article, it says nearly one in five American women ends her childbearing years without having born a child compared with 1 in 10 in the 1970s. While childlessness has risen for all racial and ethnic groups and most education levels, it has fallen over the past decade for women with advanced degrees. Now, I mean, I have an advanced degree, but I was trying to meet Mr. Wright well before I got my advanced degree. I got my advanced degree after I had my hysterectomy. So I don't know if they take account into that, but the article is here. I'll read one more paragraph. It says the most educated women still are among the most likely never to have had a child. But in a notable exception to the overall rising trend in 2008, 24% of women ages 40 to 44 with a master's, doctoral, or professional degree had not had children, a decline from 31% in 1994. I don't know. The article is here. They continue on to talk about childlessness by race and all of that stuff. So it's it's a good article to check out if you're interested. You know, I like to put all these links in the show notes. There's another article here. Which one is this? Finding Hope and Happiness Beyond Childlessness. This is an article that I found on a paper called the Kashmir Observer. I had never heard of them, but I grabbed it because they talk about finding hope and happiness beyond joblessness. And I'm always trying to grab articles that talk about such things. So that link is in the show notes as well. 
They talk about depression, anxiety, guilt, shame, grief, all of that inside of this article. So it's there in the show notes as well. Other than that, I just want to say a special thank you to the hospital staff that cared for me during my four-day stay. They were very nice, very kind. There was one time they brought up some pureed chicken soup, and I did not like it at all. I tried because I don't like to give people extra work. <laughs> That's who I am. I did try. I took three or four spoonfuls and I'm like, I, I, I can't, I, I cannot. And I called down and I said, is there anything else that you have? I, I just can't do this. And within a matter of minutes, they came up with a different bowl of soup. I think it was it was some kind of like a tomato puree soup or something. I can't remember a bisque, tomato bisque or something. It was much better, but it was just, they really were very, I like the way they do things. You can call down to the kitchen and ask for something else. <laughs> Who does that at a hospital? So I want to really thank the hospital staff for all that they did in caring for me for those four days. It was a tough four days. What I didn't mention before, and I guess I'll tell you now, while I was in the hospital, I think it might have been day one going into day two because it was one o'clock in the morning. The nursing home called me. Remember the nursing home I mentioned earlier? They called me. They called me to tell me they were transporting my dad to the hospital. He wasn't breathing. He was breathing off and on, and he had a myriad of other things going on, and they had to transport him. And he's still in the hospital. He's been there a month, and I was beside myself. I started crying because I couldn't just get out of bed and go be with him and meet him at the emergency room. I had just gotten off the phone with one of my sisters at midnight. She lives hour and a half away. I called her back because everybody else was asleep. All of our other siblings were asleep. And she hopped in her car and drove an hour and a half to meet my dad at the emergency room. So thankful for her too. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just turned the corner where he's getting better. I literally thought I was making plans for a funeral. I had already gotten the scriptures and everything together. It was that bad. They had asked me already, are you sure of what his end of life wishes are? Several times they asked me that. I was already getting scriptures together for the service. That's how bad things were. And as of today, actually, as of this recording, he has eaten food by mouth for the first time in a month. So thankfully, he's doing better. Thanks to all of you who knew about it and who prayed for him and prayed for me. I appreciate it. And I just wanted to, to give you this little warning about this whole scar tissue scare and just, you know, just do your best. That's all we can do, right? That's all we can do. Do our best with our journey, with the life we've been given, with the surgeries that we have to take. Let's just do our best. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you had an opportunity to listen to the March episode. That was Women's History Month. I really enjoyed that little short episode, but I enjoyed making it and I hope that you've enjoyed listening to it. If you haven't, please go back and tune into the March episode, March 2023. That's Women's History Month. And of course, thanks for listening to every episode. It is truly appreciated. Until next time, have a great one. Bye.